Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Habib. Friends, this is episode two in a series of episodes on occult and esoteric Christianity, an evolving tradition that offers vitalizing insights on how to move forward in our world. Across these episodes, I'll be talking about various streams and fruits of occult and esoteric Christianity, as well as about some of its key figures. Rather than presenting the typically dogmatic, dominating, and totalizing Christianity, which is always in danger of being seized by people, especially conservatives with power, this series will present a different and truer form, open, wounded, individuated, and powerless, a tradition that relates to other spiritual paths without seeking to control or diminish them. The first episode in this series featured Reverend Jonah Evans, and with this episode, I'll continue on with questions for the Christian community, (laughs) Uh, one of the only religious streams of esoteric Christianity, with Jonah's close colleague and the co-host of the Light and Everything podcast, Reverend Patrick Kennedy. Patrick was on the show last on episode 181, and he's a reverend in the Christian community, a seminary director, And frankly, I just love talking with him. Before we start, I just want to talk about religion's role in my life. Um, You might have heard me talk about this before. It's played a bit of a strange role in my life. I was raised basically without religion. My mom was raised by religious fundamentalists, Gideons, you know, the people who placed those little Bibles in the dresser uh, next to your bed in a motel room. Um, So she rejected a lot of religion basically because she was raised so poorly with it. I mean, it was just so violating to her in many ways. She was told she was going to go to hell. She was scared all the time. Um, she was threatened with, you know, spiritual (laughs) punishment, basically. Um, my father was born and raised in a village in Syria, a very small village. And, uh, where he lived, you know, it was mostly Christian, but there were some nomadic people's beliefs mixing in there. Um, So when he came to the U.S., there wasn't really the same kind of (laughs) thing going on anywhere. Um, And so even though there was a church that a lot of Syrian people went to, it just wasn't the same as this little village where he was from. So You know, I was raised with this strange world of religion going on around me, though, because I grew up in small town Pennsylvania. I would see kids in their Catholic school uniforms waiting for the bus to pick them up. I was like, what is that? What is Catholicism? Um, People would talk about God and Jesus and the Bible. I I had no idea what it was. I, I didn't understand at all. I remember because my mom would take me to a bunch of different services and be like, do you like this? Do you like this? Um, just to see if I was interested. Uh, I went to a Sunday school service once at a Presbyterian church. And <laughs> I remember we opened the Bible. I went there a few times cause I just made friends there. Um, but we opened the Bible and they said, you know, open to this verse, you know, this chapter in this verse. And I was like, can you tell me the page number? <laughs> because I didn't know how the Bible was laid out. I was very confused but I was always interested. And I went on to study religion as an undergraduate for my first two years in uh, college. I took courses on understanding the Bible, which was basically all new to me. (laughs) Um, New religions, Native North American religions, Islam, those were the names of the classes I took. 
But it wasn't until much later that I found myself in what was a coherent tradition, or almost coherent, I suppose. And that was occultism, um, most specifically uh, occult and esoteric Christianity in the form of anthroposophy, which is developed by Rudolf Steiner, who, if you listen to the show at all, you've heard me bring up before. Um, most of the time with that and the deepening of that was spent through reading, doing uh, spiritual development exercises, meditating, and so forth. Uh, so while I did have some people I was connected to to talk with about it, by the time I could really understand what any of them were saying, um, it was a few years on to the journey. And uh, I became more and more in those few years on uh, interested in being involved with the anthroposophical movement. I wish I could tell you that they were all welcoming. Um, by the time I was doing real work with it and organizing my own spiritual science discussion groups in San Francisco, talking about anthroposophy uh, for organizations like giving talks, um, I was also doing sex work and talking about sex work and sex workers' rights in the public sphere. Uh, at an event, I went to that was, you know, set up by the Anthroposophical Society, I worked up the courage to talk to this guy who is an author, sort of one of the big wig authors of Anthroposophy. <laughs> um, and, you know, this was like, I was very excited to talk to this guy. I'd read his stuff and everybody sort of, you know, was chatting about him and so forth. And I wanted to talk with him about the thing that I was interested in, which was sex and culture, because it's something that is actually not really mentioned that much in anthroposophy. So um, I met with him, you know, it was during the break, um, during his talk, and I just sat down with him and I, I brought it up. And the first thing, and I mean the first thing that came out of his mouth when I started talking about it, he said, well, you have to think about why all those gay people died of AIDS. And um, I was, I was pretty shocked. It was pretty uh, intense to hear him say that. Now, I want to just back up here and say, I, I could be very generous here, very generous, and say that I do think, um, you know, from the point of thinking about things spiritually and world events on the sort of cosmic timeline and reincarnation and all that kind of stuff maybe there was you know real interest there in asking this question like why did this community face this challenge um if they weren't being condemned or you know whatever um but of course you know <laughs> the the spiritual people that you hear asking that kind of question all the time is like you know pat robertson um it's religious fundamentalists well this is god's judgment and you need to think about why god judged these people in this way so whatever his motivations were for saying this um you know would that be the first thing you would say to somebody when they start talking with you about sex? Would that be something that you would say to anybody at all, much less, you know, a gay man? I mean, I, he didn't know me well enough to know that I was gay unless, you know, my general wild gesticulations <laughs> set him off. But, I mean, I, I think it was, 
you know, really interesting that that's what came out of his mouth to me, a stranger who was trying to make friends with this person. Um, I'd have this encounter multiple times, especially uh, when it related to sex, to sexuality. Um, sometimes these encounters with other anthroposophists would happen in uh, directly cruel uh, ways, um, insulting me in publications or online or in person. And, uh, you know, I want to say that this, it didn't happen with everybody, of course, otherwise I wouldn't be <laughs> interested so much anymore. I feel really cast out, but I just want to say it's something that came up multiple times. And, um, you know, for me, I just thought, wow, you know, this esoteric Christian world, which is seeking to find the truth, and warmth and love are completely connected to, necessary for the truth, um, then, you know, in fact, Rudolf Steiner says this thing, love is the only passion which must not be discarded in the pursuit of truth. Um, then why was I meeting this? I didn't quite understand it. It was shocking to me. After all, this wasn't the same kind of Christianity uh, as religious, fundamentalist, or mainstream Christianity, was it? The trappings of religion and years of theocratically dominated culture were keeping people in this esoteric Christian world from revisiting sacraments, from revisiting truth, from touching and contacting warmth through taking, you know, from taking an interest in other people. And, you know, I learned from these encounters that esoteric Christianity has its own dogmatic aspects. And some of them are left over from religion, but it doesn't always just automatically clear things up for people in terms of deep thought, connection, and warmth. Um, to say, well, no, I'm an esoteric Christian. I'm not uh, that kind of religious Christian. Um, so I, I noticed that. And it's something that I talk about a lot on this episode with Patrick is the ways in which we can fool ourselves when we're trying to uh, meet the challenges of our time, to meet other people, and to meet the true spiritual beings that we want to align ourselves with, come in contact with. Um, or if you're not into any of that, if you're not a, a, a spiritual person in this way, from just contacting the truth of reality, the world, the way things work, um, we can find, you know, this sort of aspects of pollution, but it's not just that. Uh, maybe uh, there's something else going on. Uh, people would call this, I think, spiritual bypassing is this other thing that's going on. Um, a sort of arrogance that prevents people from connecting with warmth and truth and, and love. I don't really like this term spiritual bypassing. It's a, it's a zeitgeisty term, and I don't think it accurately portrays the challenges of working with spiritual paths and spiritual development because it's a non-linear process. Um, and in fact, thinking that you're just bypassing one part or whatever to claim that you're spiritual is also thinking that there's some sort of progressive line of spiritual development. While there is uh, an unfolding that can happen within us as we do spiritual development through esoteric Christianity and other traditions, um, 
the unfolding is unique to each of us. And so what might look linear to one person might feel completely uh, non-linear to another. And that linearity just doesn't touch us. Time doesn't touch us in the same way in this process. So we shouldn't demand spirituality work like the increase of wealth or some sort of like um, ridiculous kind of life hack wellness uh, path. Bypassing can indicate that even if it doesn't mean to. So I don't like that term. But but I, I will say that I've noticed that there can be this kind of, well, I have the spiritual answer, so I'm just going to spit out information reflexively uh, in esoteric Christian communities sometimes. In all spiritual communities, let's face it. I'm, not, I'm just talking about the one that I'm interested in and, and really connected to here. Um, another example, but this is a good example, I think, of the challenges and the struggles. I was on a bus with um, a guy who you may or may not have heard of, this guy Christopher Bamford, and I feel okay talking about him because he's he's crossed the threshold, as we say in, the, in esoteric Christianity. He's, he, he died uh, a little while ago, and I'd never met him before. I was on a bus up to an event with him in New Mexico, just going up the hill. I recognized him, and I thought, oh my gosh, it's Christopher Bamford. I'm going to talk with him. Uh, so I chatted with him a little bit about the fact that I was doing sex work and I was trying to find examples of where this, you know, appeared in especially Rudolf Steiner's lectures and that kind of stuff. And he really was wrestling with it in front of me. He was like, well, this could be the influence of these, you know, sort of counter evolutionary beings like so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, I felt a little sad, um, but he was very kind to me the rest of the, you know, weekend. And I was there with people that I knew. I didn't really interact with him that much. So it was years later, I went to a book conference in New York and he was there and I walked up to him and he said, oh, it's you. He recognized me. I didn't think he would remember me. He said, oh, it's you. He said, yes, I've been thinking so much about that conversation that you and I had on that bus. And I really have thought about it. And, you know, you never know when you're going to meet an angel. <laughs> and then, you know, there was just a little bit more on it, but it, it had opened up for him um, over time. And I thought it was really beautiful. You know, he was in the struggle. He was wrestling with the angel and, and it had opened something up in him. And we didn't get to talk about it too much more, but there was a definite, you know, different kind of connection and warmth and love there. Obviously, I hope that you do not think I am trying to insinuate my angelic nature here, <laughs> but just to say that those really working wrestle and struggle and open, and that includes me. So esoteric Christianity doesn't solve the problems of religion, and sometimes it can even wallow in them. So the double, the dark doppelganger and everything. We must face that everywhere, even in the most sacred of aspects. So I'm very glad to have a guest on who can speak about esoteric Christianity and religion, Patrick Kennedy, and I'm very excited to share this episode with you. This show, as always, is brought to you by people who support it on Patreon. If that's you, hello. Thank you. Patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. 
please do support the show. It makes a huge difference. Patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. If this show has meaning for you, if what I'm saying, what Patrick says, with just the bringing together of these voices um, inspires new thoughts in you, uh, new conversations in your life, then please do support it. All right, here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Against Everyone with Connor Habib in the uh, second installment of our Esoteric Christianity series of episodes. Uh, hello, Patrick Kennedy. It's great to be talking with you on the show again. Hi, Connor. It's kind of weird to think I'm just like a couple of days ago, we were walking on the streets of Dublin. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and now I'm back in across an ocean. <laughs> but we're still talking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I'm hoping this conversation doesn't stop anytime soon. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I started this series with your colleague, Jonah Evans, uh, talking with him about why esoteric Christianity. And I thought, you know, look, there's there's the the big question of that. And then there's the question of how that shows up in our life paths. And so that's what I really wanted to take up with him. I think there's a question for me about why religion here, because, mm. you know, the rest of the episodes of this series, I mean, they're not really going to touch on religion quite so much. Um, they'll, they're going to be much more about, you know, the stuff that people think is cool, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> the occult stuff, the esoteric stuff. And obviously that's going to weave into our conversation today, but I, I wanted to start by uh, putting these two quotes together. Um, and one is from Goethe and then one is from Rudolf Steiner commenting on Goethe and these relate to the Christian community. Um he who possesses art and science has religion. He who does not possess them needs religion. That's Goethe. And then Rudolf Steiner says of that, applied to anthroposophy, which I think most people listening to the show know what anthroposophy is. Um, but if not, that's the occult ex esoteric part. Um, but let's just say, applied to anthroposophy, I might perhaps be allowed to extend this saying by Goethe as follows. If you possess anthroposophy or the spiritual science that blossoms from it, then you have religion too. My fear is only that those who do not wish to possess anthroposophy, or at least its spirit and meaning, will not possess religion in future either. So nice. Great <laughs> quote. Yeah, so good. So good. So I thought we'd start there because in some ways he's expressing <laughs> you'd almost find this like you know this thing that he does a lot which is i will tell you something's absolutely necessary and something is not necessary at the mm. same time <laughs> because yeah. i'm trying to preserve your freedom um the mystery the mystery mood around it everything and so there is a necessity of religion which streams out of 
a deeper necessity in a way, um, or streams out of the lack of a deeper necessity or mm. out of encountering that deeper necessity, mm. which is this spiritual encounter research uh, inquiry, that sort of thing. So I thought we'd start there. Mm. Yeah, that's really exciting, Connor. Um, I remember I, I was in, uh, I went to the University of California, Santa Cruz, um, and was studying cultural anthropology. And I had a great job in the media center of the library. So anyone who's ever been to a university and you've been to the media center back in those days too, like the coolest thing we had were laser discs. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone remembers laser discs. Just big, imagine big CDs, people. Super sized CDs. Way, the, or big DVDs, but way more, actually, uh, the quality is way better. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they had listening booths inside the the media center. So if you were the librarian person in the media center, you got to sit at the desk and students would come in to check things out. And a lot of the students who would come in would be people either in the film department or they would be in the music department and the music portion of the university. And there was a young woman there who just tall, lanky, shaved head and big eyes. And she would come in often to listen to music and she would get into a booth and you could see she would come out like changed. She, it, it just, music was, was more than something that she was interested in. It was more than something she was enjoying. <laughs> mm. She, I remember one time she, I think she had been crying. And so we eventually, she would have come back again and again. So we struck up a bit of a friendship. And I remember her saying to me as we were walking away one day, she said to me, yeah, I'm not religious. And I remember this like thing went through me at that, at that point. I mean, well, I don't want to get into my story too much, but I wasn't you know, hadn't studied at the seminary or anything like that, hadn't decided to become a priest. But I remember the feeling, that's not true. <laughs> like I've, and it just, it was just the language of what religion is or or looks like in our world. Yeah, she wasn't that. But the actual human experience, she was. I could, and I, and I remember just kind of like saying it to her, like bearing witness to, I, I've seen you quote unquote, go to church. Like when you listen to music through the doorway of wonder and your heart opens so deeply, and then you actually extend beyond yourself and start uniting with this soundscape and it communicates something to you and you come out a different person and it's sacred to you. <laughs> like all these elements that are actually key to real religious life, not institutional expressions of, of religion. I, I, I could see and feel around her. Mm-hmm. 
And so that, that for me became a bit of an icon in my life. It's like, man, we, religion became like this idea that there's like organizations different, which have different practices. And they're, as I said, I bet a young person recently in Ottawa, son of one of our students at the seminary, and he goes, yeah, well, Christianity is basically a mode of social control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, actually, <laughs> you know, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of what, how Christianity as an organizational group betrayed its inner nature by becoming a state power mm-hmm. and seeking to control the hearts, minds, and bodies of humans. Yeah. Yeah, that's, if that's religion, then we need to throw that off for sure. But if there's a layer of human experience, which is about union with a power greater than myself, in which the creative forces of the universe are living and active, yeah, I can understand Rudolf Steiner, if he were to feel like we might not get that in the future, that would be really, really bad news. <laughs> that would be really bad news. So this, this, I think it's just this, right? That there's a layer of our being, which is the deepest layer, which in which union of beings is experienced that for me points at what religious life is Mm. yeah i love that i mean what there's a strange sort of feeling uh feeling capacity that emerges in those kinds of experiences like i can Mm. imagine her let's just say she's listening to Death and the Maiden by Schubert, or she's listening to something by Brahms. She comes out of the booth and she's weeping Mm. because she's been so moved in her feeling life through some sort of connection to someone else, something else. It's not just someone, but it is, it is a someone as well. And then a something. And um, I can see then when it's like you have organizations that decide to use that in one way or another um, mm. because there's a, mm. so, cause, cause that's all that feeling that individualized, it's not actually quite individualized because you're meeting someone, but within yourself, that feeling mm. expression, that soul life is yours in a way, in some ways that actually is something that even though it's brought through the other, it is also yours. And I can see that cultural, therefore, impulse, then it's like some state kind of structure around the rights and regulations and how that should all be sort of organized, used, and seen comes and grabs onto the cultural input. And that is a violation. You're right. I mean, that's a violation to have those two things to have one trying to dominate the other Um, or vice versa. You know, it's like, who knows what the direction is. It's like, 
lots of times people have those have an ecstatic experience and then form a religion, you know, and try to impose their cultural impulse onto people's, mm-hmm. you know, life rights, um, uh, political interactions, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is, yeah. that does bring a real kind of wound. I understand that. Yeah. I, mean, I understand, especially here. Um, here being Ireland. Yeah. Here in Ireland. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is something that I'm glad you talked about that first, because one, you're talking about the real depth of experience, um, the intensity, the beauty of it, how moving it is. But then also <laughs> because of the depth, the beauty, the, in some ways, real aloneness of that experience, even as it's a communion can be, you know, seized upon and that is people's picture of religion, you know, uh, an exploitation of the depths of experience for political gain in a lot yeah. of ways. And yeah. um, <laughs> and I, there's something in what Rudolf Steiner says here in a way, which <clears throat> is like, you know, if you really strive to understand reality, <laughs> it's just a small request in some ways, eventually, you know, you might still stumble through that at first, but eventually that just actually can't happen. Um, but I think people would still reject that statement as well. Probably. Wait, wait, what can't happen? Say that. That, 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 that exploitative seizing Mm -hmm. one way or the other actually can't happen because if you're interested Mm. in the Mm. truth, you know, um, that experience becomes impermeable to a mm. kind of exploitation or, or, mm-hmm. or you wouldn't seek to exploit others through those kinds oh, of Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, what I hear in what you're sh- sharing there is the commitment to really seeking the truth has a kind of protection in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you really stay true to that commitment, truth will play its part in revealing to you how such an such such an expectation direction isn't a part of its being it is it is is a, it's actually a part of something we could call a lie something that, that there's there's a darkness and a lie in there and nevertheless like that journey might include a time where you're i mean for me for me, part of the wounding in the world was, you know, of course, seeing where we were at in many ways in the world with each other, with the planet. Um, it's just, yeah, the the darkness at work and the great longing for this, exp- that, that all to be healed. Just could it, could it, could we be reunited with the sources of light and creation. And inside me, it was really interesting. And part of my truth journey was like, oh, so, so I had a kind of subconscious solution that was driving me. And that was the, the idea that if I could break through to all those truths again, that people seem to be missing that light, I could simply give it back to everybody and everyone would be like, oh, great. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad, you know, we were just missing that the whole time. <laughs> and and inside it right. was kind of like a picture of like, 
actually a kind of tyranny. There was like a secret tyranny hiding inside me <laughs> that wanted to like rule the world with his wisdom. <laughs> and, and luckily, because I was so committed to the truth at an early stage in my journey before I had any levers of power, really, responsibility on my journey towards it, one of the aspects of this diamond of truth revealed itself like that that journey you th you think you're on that that this is going to be the solution that will lead that will lead to you actually tyrannizing people with wisdom uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> yeah so much for the truth shall set you free because i mean that's the that's the thing that people they do this all the time when you have some sort of accusation against any kind of way of organizing life People will say, well, if only you had the real version of that, it would be okay. So, mm. oh, but that's mm. not real Christianity. That's not real Islam. That's not real mm. feminism. That's not real Marxism. Like, if you just get to the real pure form and mm. see what was actually said, then it will be fine, right? But that isn't true. I mean, it, mm. that <laughs> there might be a truth in that in the sense that, um, you know, if, <laughs> if we – if we really are interested in pursuing truth completely and that's our our duty as you know that that there is a purification process in that that happens that kind of mm. burns away some of the the you know anti mystery stuff in there but it's not but it's in the same way it's you know when people say oh, that that's not uh like science is just a method or you know whatever it is what these things intersect with our freedom and our compulsions and everything <laughs> and to decide what's real and what's not real by just creating an imaginary pure form of it is not mm. going to cut it you know mm. and so i think that that would be the thing that people would say you know when <laughs> when i talk about esoteric christianity i'm like yeah, but I'm Christian in a different way. It's about like really right. trying to encounter Christ and all that. Like, I mean, I, I think that that's a, that would be a valid critique of something I say. Like, right. aren't you yeah. just kind of letting it all off oh, the hook? Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. I remember, I mean, my, the moment in my life, <clears throat> I, I was around 21 years old and I was studying at, at this university that I mentioned, which is, if you don't know Santa Cruz, California, which is like this hippie beach town, which is like one of the like last places where hippiedom is still being protected and kept for the future in some fashion. <laughs> um, you know, or a lot of people also just felt, you know, the pain of, of modernity and, and just wanting to come into a different way of life. And to say you were a Christian in the world that I was in there was... I mean, it was, I don't know, it was kind of like saying, like, I'm dumb and I'm mean. <laughs> like, those two things, like, you, whoever is still a Christian is somebody who's stupid and mean. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, just getting it down to its essence. And, and, and I, you know, I really definitely didn't want to be either of those things. I wanted to be intelligent and loving. <laughs> 
And I wanted to be seen that way. And I wanted to be loved that way, you know, and, <laughs> and I really had all these people who I admired and loved around me. And I remember it just kind of rose in my soul because I was also, you know, reading the Bhagavad Gita, which I loved. And Thich Nhat Hanh, a Buddhist teacher and monk, was a, a teacher of mine inwardly. And I was exploring like most people would be in their 20s. And But suddenly this question just like rose up in me. If someone asked you, are you Hindu, what would you say? I was like, mm. oh, shoot. I think I'd have to say no. And like these series of questions started coming in my soul. Like if someone asked you, are you Buddhist? What would you say? And I was just like feeling this, like, I know where this is going. <laughs> if someone asked you, are you Christian? And I was like, oh, shit. I would have to admit, admit. I've been, you know, that like was something I was like kind of hiding and keeping and letting have a gestation Confess. period, you know, at, exactly at 21 I realized I might start losing a lot of relationships because I love this other relationship. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And that was very scary to me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're familiar to it. No, and so, of course, then the other thing is, well, but not that kind, just not that kind of Christianity, you know, like wanting right. to like control how, through what lens they're seeing me in their Christianity. And that's so like the next layer was then at seminary. It was really a spiritual experience I had after while while reading this this account by Julia Butterfly Hill of spending two years up in a tree. I suddenly knew like which tree I wanted to climb, mm -hmm. and it was the tree of Christianity. And I know to some degree what that means. I can't I can't say no. I'm not related to all of the sins that have been done in the name of Christendom and Christianity. I can't, I can't, I, that wouldn't have anything to do with real love. <laughs> so if I get up in this tree, I'm, I'm somewhere saying, I'm putting this on as well. I've got to bear this and love this as well. And you know, that's, yeah. that's just understandably not attractive. You couldn't, you couldn't, sorry, it must be said. You couldn't be like, no, no, guys, I'm more like Christian Rose and Santa Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a dumb anthroposophy pun for people. Wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's funny that it's the name of the town. Uh, oh, yeah. And I was born in Sacramento, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, too. I, um, I mean, in some ways, this whole show has been an attempt to express to people. I mean, like every episode of the show, in some ways, is an attempt to express to people like, yeah, but it's not dumb spirituality. It's this instead. It's this instead. And, mm. you know, I mean, as time goes by, I, I have less of a need to demonstrate that. Mm, mm. in a kind of uh defensive way right. but i do try to demonstrate right. it in a communicative way in a compassionate mm. way for the people that mm. aren't with me mm. um because ultimately those people are included i mean they're they are in my world 
And mm. I, by doing this show, am related, you know, to so many people that I'll never meet. You know, the problem of the invisible other, like so many invisible mm. others, you know, yeah. listening or mm. reading the book or w- whatever mm. <laughs> it might be, whatever encounter they have with me out there on the internet. And so I, you know, I try to sort of offer a kind of compassion, but at some point, say, I guess I'm maybe bringing that up because that changed for me. It was like, Hmm. it was a kind of defense. And eventually I saw what I need to defend. I just need to express that. I see that there's difference between what you not you, but what a listener might hear versus what I might say. Mm. And that, that saddens me in a way. And I'm mm. okay with that. I'm okay with the experience of the sorrow and the distance and the separation mm. and the, mm. the otherness. That's all right with me. I don't need to resolve the contradiction by making people understand, by defending, by mm. trying to dominate whatever. And that is something I think that... Mm if we did our best would mark esoteric Mm. Christianity would be an aspect of it. It's not a lot of the time, but it would be. Yeah. I'm nodding. People can't see that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I think Connor, that's one of the things that drew me to your work. I, I hear you listening to those ears Mm. in your speaking, like you're, you're listening to me and you're listening to the person you're talking to, but you're always also listening to your listeners. And, and compassionately feeling into where they might be and where they are and seeking. But, but when you then speak, I, I so often hear you not being defensive per se, but really trying to be a bridge builder. That's just a different thing. It's like, well, maybe it needs to be said a little bit more around that so that people can find the door rather than just a wall in what has just been said. It might seem like a wall has just been put up, but maybe I just, I'm thinking of a few people and maybe if you just come around a little bit over to the left, you'll see maybe there's a door for you over here. And I, yeah, I, that kind of, extension of inner listening instead of hurling my speaking at the world. (laughs) I mean, there's just an understanding. There's a kinship in that because Mm, essentially I'm an outsider to everything, everything, Um, but myself and hopefully one day I will understand that I'm not an Mm. outsider to the Christ being as well. I don't quite understand that. Sometimes I feel completely alienated. Mm. It, it, at least, mm. you know, I can't line up my intellect with knowing that that's true sometimes or mm. my day. I'll have a horrible day and I'll forget mm. all about it. I won't forget. It actually won't completely leave, but mm. Mm. I won't be able to approach, right? But but aside from the times when I am aligned with that, I'm only not an outsider to myself. I mean, I, everything I've done, and this is something that you're expressing partially in your Santa Cruz story is, you know, I've, I've kicked myself out of every club, 
you know, it's like mm. studying the humanities, but then studying science, studying science, but being a spiritual person, being a spiritual person, but then engaging in this sex work world, being in that world, but then deciding to go back and write novels, talking to leftists, you know, because I have mostly leftist politics, but feeling completely unaligned with the dialectical materialism of Marxism, et cetera, et cetera, outside to everything. And so when I say things that I know that people are outside of, that they just have to kind of walk around and be like, mm-hmm. isn't that an interesting mm-hmm. statue or object that I can look at? Cause I can't quite mm-hmm. access the livingness. I think, you know, I'm with you in that outsiderness. I can't ever be in anything ever. Yeah. Um, but that's true for me. And the only place the only thing I know for sure is that we're all connected in spirit. So, but I'm also, I'm utterly alone here, <laughs> but we're all connected in spirit. <laughs> and you sounds like you felt that way in the Santa Cruz uh, experience as well, where you were like, how can I get back in still talk about the religion, but get back into them you know, holding me and me being a part oh, of God, them. Yeah. And then like not the having the last me... thing I wanted was to be isolated yeah. again. You know, just like just the horror of isolation. Like, please, you know, let me in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And that you could say in many ways, my my guidance was leading me to the place where my utter aloneness broke through to a reality which could allow me from there to feel connected with everything and everyone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and retain the aloneness and allow everyone else to have their own aloneness, you know, like Mm -hmm. not to achieve communion and community by ingesting everyone into my aloneness, (laughs) like making them all a part of the way I think and see and feel. Right. Right but truly loving their own separate story as a part of the fabric of this mysterious and beautiful world. So how do we deal with that tension then as people who are Christian that I'll do this thing where I'm like, you know, when I'm like, yeah, but I'm not Christian in that way. But then if someone presses me, I will be like, yeah, but Christ happened to everybody, right? And then there's Mm. someone in front of me being like, I reject that. That's not true. Right, right. So it's holding the tension because I have to allow that person not to be right exactly because – but but what is it? Because it's not that that I think that they're right because that would actually be dismissing my own Mm. existence. Mm. But in a – uh, it's the, I don't have to allow them to do anything. They'll do it whether or not I allow them to. <laughs> so it's not an allowing. Oh, interesting, I don't exactly yeah. know what it is. It's it's mm. connected to grace somehow, but it's not it's not grace either. It's something else. Well, I don't know. The, the, can we look at that allowing thing for a second? Because obviously, you don't necessarily have total control over someone. Like if you're in a family, and you you have some family members who you care about thinking and feeling you should be different. Mm-hmm. 
you should be behaving differently. You should be making different choices. Even if they don't say it, you come in the room. Uh Most humans at this stage are sensitive enough to pick that up. Those are generating a reality of disallowance, like of, of like, it's like a, for, a grip force that's taking place within the thought feeling world, which is an atmosphere in which we are walking. And it can, that's a thing to have to live in. And it's really intense. And, and when that in, when inwardly those people actually release the grip, and truly actually start just trying to understand you, where you're coming from, and not not disallow inwardly. You see, this is the thing, right? It's like you can pass the laws that allow people. It's another layer of reality mm. of love to allow inwardly. And people really, really experience it. I think that's why you go to schools. <laughs> we'll see what happens here when I say this. But I remember <laughs> when we we got we went to our um, sending our children to a Walder school, which comes out of you know Rudolf Steiner's work um, in New York. And there was a poster there that said, "In this school, we're tolerant," something like that. <laughs> you did a little thing or two, right? And it was so interesting. It's kind of like, well, A, why do you even have to say that? Right. It's like, oh God, that's that's you know. But B, what what the the, the energetic gesture of that statement is, except for you people who are intolerant. Right. <laughs> it's so weird. The statement wants to be a softening and an opening, but it's actually like a group social pressure system to try to have an effect in that inner space of allowance that people are, are working in. Cause it's not a law, right? So you can't, you know, and, right. and in our, in our country, we pat the, we have a law of tolerance, you know, it's like, you can't even have that. Who's that sign speaking to? I mean, when you, the moment speaking? you hang it up, you have to imagine who's saying it and who it's being spoken to. <laughs> I mean, it's a little wild. It's a little wild. It's it's actually the problem of the law in human form in general, isn't it? Is that the moment you set up a law, it's the anticipation and therefore encouragement of people to behave in a way that runs counter to human law. And I mean, for me, so when I go under it, I feel pain. I see, just like me, these people who put the sign up and maybe who made it have suffered intolerance. Like, yeah, that's awful. It's, it's again, it's just this grip energy from another being upon an, on, on another being. That's like a deep, deep violation. That's a violence. And then the, the desire that naturally rises, like, how do we work with this? Like, how do we change this? Like, okay, let's put some posters up, you know, like that's a solution. That's an attempt to try to get at how can we heal the world of this violence? <laughs> yeah i mean it's the what's the adam phillips line about he's a great book called monogamy the psych child psychoanalyst he's one of my favorite writers and it's just these little vignettes on monogamy and one of the first ones is something like monogamy is the promise to your partner that you'll be unfaithful and <laughs> it's always <laughs> i mean you always carry because the double is in everything right so you always you always carry it 
I mean, there's no way once you assert, you know, a form it's, it's double is there in a way, or at least it evokes a resonance in the double in you when you see the intolerant. As soon as I see that poster, I'm going to tear that fucking thing down. <laughs> like an immediate That's my first feeling. <laughs> yeah, let me show you. Let me show you some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tolerance. Yeah, because, yeah, exactly right. It, it, exactly right. It, call, it calls it forth just like, you know, don't take those cookies, kids. You know, just it, there is a certain thing there. And also, I think there's another secret here, which is for me, like, right it's 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 a true moral call but if i extend my moral work upon the morality of others i now start a violation process and that's the that's the that's the i think the world moment we're in why Mm -hmm. religion as it was practiced 500 years ago let's say let's go back where you could say the church is saying to the people behave this way there's a time in which we need help from outside from like our parents when we were children to give us guidance. And then there's a point at which if your mom is still telling you how to behave when you're 30, it's just, right. It has a darkness in it. But if there's, you know, if, if, if you're, you know, four-year-olds whacking their, seven-year-old and with a toy over the head like yeah step in it's not it's you know it's, it's you know there there's a form that had a kind of value for a time if it's extended past its right time starts to become an evil right yeah i, I hope that in this series i'll talk about evil more but that is one of the you know, ways that Rudolf Steiner talks about evil is that there's something sort of disjoint with time, you know, something doesn't exist in its right time frame anymore. Um, I think when I'm, (laughs) when I'm considering what you said about, okay, so this person isn't Christian or isn't, you know, how about, how about instead of isn't Christian, because I, I, I might not have such a, I might not use those terms or thoughts at all. This person doesn't ha- doesn't believe anything in spirituality exists. You know, they just say, well, "Well, okay, I guess I can't do anything about that." So you know what? I'm just going to love them anyway, and that's a move of dissolving their otherness into <laughs> love, which can't actually see them. So. There's this other trap. So every level, <laughs> there's this little tangle where it's like, oh, now I could just snare you by dissolving you into the <laughs> sulfuric acid of love, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so that there's no trace of you left, so that I can actually disregard your being, and that that's not going to work either. Um, mm. There has to be uh, an actual witnessing of the other. Um, or a real acceptance that they are there and that they are different. Now, that doesn't mean that I have to let go of the, what I feel is knowingness. In other words, a kind of truth that I understand and not just a concept that Christ is, as well as a being, a cosmic event that's occurred to everyone. Um, I don't have to let go of that. But I also don't want to 
not see the person in front of me um, by just trying to resolve them into my belief system or my feeling system of, you know, love or whatever. I mean, in the, in the normal way, it's like, you know, someone being like, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Like that, that. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's a double thing there. So that's a kind of warmth light issue. I wouldn't usually say, right. It's like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll envelop you in my feeling portion of love, which is just from me towards you which is an abstraction. It's just extending my soul out. And I'm not confronted by the fact that there is a true other there, which would become clear if I used love in the realm of my light. That is witnessing, understanding, uh. who, who are you? How, why do you think the way you do? Mm. And probably I'm going to be confronted by some riddles, mm. mm-hmm. which means I'm going to see stuff I don't yet, I can't yet resolve in my worldview. I can't yet, like, I don't know why you are doing this thing <laughs> like this <laughs> this is i can and or why such a thing exists in the universe like i i'm i'm confronted truly with some mm. unknowing and that's the border where i can that where i can really grow in humility and say like i can't yet integrate that and that's on me right that's not on them right i don't understand it but I know the the mind of the universe does. <laughs> mm. It's a part of reality. So it's it's integrated in reality. It's I who am yet not yet integrated into this other that is over there. So it's my task to actually flow into you with light. Mm. Who where are you coming from? How do you fit within this fabric? How can I see truly see you? That's where I have true and and oh and le- you could say a legitimate extension of myself into you mm-hmm. is understanding. Mm-hmm. Love, feelings of love may grow out of that, but then they're going to grow as a result of a light process. That's right. And what what's so interesting is that that might actually mean that the behavior that you exhibit to that person looks less like what we would say are loving behaviors. So what I mean is, you know, if you're dealing with someone who's, you know, quite difficult, you know, some, let's just say some loud internet, constantly on the internet using new atheist sort of person who's like, you know, well, obviously, sorry, I don't believe in Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not going to talk to you about, you know, your (laughs) shit, you know, um, then you might at a certain point be like, well, I'm not, I'm going to leave you to that. I'm not going to continue to engage with you because like, actually now that is giving you the same kind of love that the spiritual world is calling forth. So in other words, like, let's see if I can do this whole process. It's like, I see these riddles that you're talking about. I see this riddle in you and that riddle to me shows me that I have questions that are obstructions and pathways into the knowingness that we're all one in the spiritual realm, that we're all connected, not all one, but that we're all connected in the spirit and spirit. So I see where I'm blocking myself and I also see the path, which is the obstruction. So I'm going to do that. Mm. 
But then once I access that, and I'm if I can, and I'm touching that connectivity, then my actions actually begin to reflect the actions of the ways that we're connected in spirit. And (laughs) as it sort of comes back down, that can be a greater separation. It can be like, I mean, I wouldn't go this far, but it can be the way in which the spiritual world loves people, which is sometimes just really fucking them up. You know, it's like the spiritual world, all it wants to do is keep people on their path. That's it. That's how it shows love to people, you know, or that's how the angels, I should say, show love to people or whatever. It's like, oh, you're messing up. Great. We're going to, or you're, you're off the path. We love you so much. Let's get you back on there. Oh, I didn't mean to break your foot, but there you go. Let's get, let's get you back on. Mm-hmm. So it can mean, I'm not going to do any of that kind of stuff, obviously to someone, but it can look like something that's actually a bit more, you know, I'm not going to be around you. I'm not going to mm-hmm. engage anymore. I'm not mm-hmm. going to have this conversation. I'm actually going to stop this conversation from happening or, uh, Maybe I'm going to turn to the person that you're with and say, "How do you deal with this?" You know, <laughs> whatever, whatever it might be. You know, right? Okay. So, love could look like, "No, go away." Mm-hmm. I'm not. De- I'm not going to engage with you when you, when you're approaching things this way. Right now, you are actually just spewing hate, and I'm not participating. For example, or I, I conf- confrontation, and and um, or maybe <clears throat> so. If I go to a biblical image, you know, for for a long time, I think I was easily could explain why am I drawn to this person? I, the world knows as Jesus. It's because I experienced that he is love become human. That that that's why. And I'm interested in love and I want to give my life to love. And then I read this New Testament thing and come across a scene where he takes time to weave a three-pronged whip (laughs) and go into the temple courts and start swinging this thing and taking tables and chucking them over and sending people's money all over the ground and like accusing them of violating the divinity Mm. by what they have done in the temple. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, uh, is that love? Like, that's very confronting to some ideas of what I thought love was. Like, Mm. can I unite that picture with what love is? Like, it was really, really confronting. And I think, is is it you're a little bit in that direction that, that you're meaning to go yeah there's a part of that right like i'm not i don't need the whip hopefully um <laughs> but the part of it that i really am resonating with is the i'm going to actually say to you that you're not aligned with who you say you are in a way mm. not not i'm not pointing out i mean it usually will take the form of pointing out a hypocrisy but i don't mean that mm. like so there are a few examples that i can bring up one is uh this guy that was in a magical order that I knew in San Francisco and it was this kind of secret order, but they were, I wouldn't say they're Christian, but they were Christ adjacent. We'll just put it that way. It wasn't like they were doing, you know, like nefarious stuff or whatever. And 
he was in love with me and mm. he became very jealous that I was dating someone. Mm. And he, so he sent me a text that said, you know, that guy you're dating is very sick and he's going through this and this and this. Mm. And, you know, it was actually, it was true. Um, I think he was, you know, he had some sort of drug addiction that he was hiding from me. But I, I said to the, the guy who was in love with me as part of that where I said, you know, if you discovered that through techniques that, you know, and you telling me that is an absolute violation of everything mm. you believe in and everything mm. you stand for. And he was just like, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. You know, he just kind of, kind of knocked him back into mm, You confronted him with himself. That's it. So I think that that's the moment mm. with Christ in the temple too. It's, yes. Look at what you're doing. Yeah. What's the identity of this place, actually? Exactly. Where you're off your own identity. Yeah. So it's, it's something like that. It's like, mm. I'm actually just going to tell you the truth now. <laughs> and, and you know, unfortunately, that's been really manipulated and sort of trumped up in our time of like, I'll be the one who tells everybody the truth that no one else, everyone else is afraid to say. It's like this right. posturing. Right. But it only happens with Christ. Mm. Once really, maybe there's one other, but like, oh, really yeah, the that... only other time, I mean, there, there, there are some moments, it depends on the gospel, but you know, a really other strong moment where he's doesn't mince words, as we might say, is in the week, in the days before the crucifixion, where he has this confrontation with these spirit, with the spiritual leadership of his community. Yeah. Who, first of all, test him, test him, test him. He passes every test and then he undresses them like he just absolutely <laughs> it's called the seven woes in the gospel of matthew wow. and it's just like it and if you are someone who works in spiritual practice it's like a cleansing mm -hmm. like you're like this so has to do with me right <laughs> like this isn't those people he's talking to anyone who steps into any kind of position of spiritual authority of any kind just meaning that people trust your words at all when mm. you speak about these things you, you he doesn't ever undress the politicos the political powers of his day he doesn't even speak about them barely except for one moment he says you know give to caesar what is caesar's mm -hmm. that's it and but the people who are in spiritual leadership he absolutely lets them have it mm -hmm. similar to to what I think Rudolf Steiner says there at that beginning quote, the consequences of your sins are just so much deeper. Right. Such a, that the consequences go so deep. The effects on other human beings of what you are doing. <sighs> I, to, to love you and them, I have to stand here and say the truth right now. <sighs> and, that can come only really when you have done that to yourself, when you have decided to constantly, in some ways, live in terror of your own being, <laughs> you know, some way, just <laughs> constantly, you know, take up the responsibility yeah. for what you see in yourself. Um, and that, Couldn't agree more. I mean, that's every day. I mean, that's every single day. It's exhausting, you know. Um, <laughs> 
oh, I mean, thank God for me anyway, it, it, it pulses in power. Like there, there are, there are like times where it's like, you know, where I'm slain, I would say I would, that's a, it's an experience of actually being cut through by the truth relative to myself. Mm. And then there are times luckily where it just goes a little more into the background and it's, it's a little gentler and because you could say a, a good slice, a good strong cut needs some time to kind of work its effects out. For, and, and so it needs to be quiet after that, after that one. Yeah. So then do you think that religion in part to sort of bring us mm. in our original inquiry here is about that, is actually about the encounter with the constant encounter with integrity. Mm. Um, I w- I'll sit with others. I won't be the one directing the inquiry here. Mm. Uh, I mean, in spirituality, you don't always you don't direct the inquiry either, but it can really feel like you are in a way that you go to service, <laughs> right. it doesn't really feel like it, you know? Mm. Um, mm. And uh, I'll be met with my own stuff but also i'll notice the riddles that you know the presence of others Mm. bring up and um and what does it mean to say i will stay in this community uh no matter how Mm. uh, difficult i think that's probably part of the pain of being excommunicated or something from other churches where it's like uh i've done a lot to I've done a lot to stay here with all you people. Now you're asking me to leave, you know, mm. it's like, but, but I, th- I wonder if that's a big part of why religion, when it comes to esoteric Christianity, because a lot of people in esoteric Christianity tell you don't need religion. Really. I don't think that that's true or false. Some people need it. Some people don't, but it, but this is an esoteric Christian religion religious practice, religious gathering, religious meeting in the Christian community. Right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I, I hear two things there. The first thing was this integrity piece. Um, yeah, the, Christ, the, the, the biblical Christian imagery there is there is a person who prepares the way to the encounter with this being of love. And he immerses us in water. He don't he 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 immerses us in water that should help us step outside ourselves and look at ourselves truthfully. And what we what ex, what happens to me if I do that is I grow in humility, and I grow in the sense of I am in need of a power greater than myself, because when I've been in charge, look at what I what look at the beautiful things I've been making, <laughs> and that. I need it. I, and I don't seem to be able to do it differently. Where is the, where is the, how can that power come into me that continues to transform me and, and bring what I really would love to see coming from me in the world? So this preparer of the way is known as John, the, the dunker, the, the, the immerser, the baptizer. And without that work, oh my gosh then yeah all kinds of violence 
and zealotry can grow up more easily. But if you are practicing, it's just very hard to condemn any human ever because you've seen yourself. <laughs> you just can't. It just grows in humility and softens and opens the heart. It's just what it does. Mm. And then there's that individual encounter with this other being. And then there's the community expressions of that. So, so, so let's say there is religion that's not the institutional social control religion, but you could say where a gathering of brothers and sisters are, are, are coming together Because we are, we, we notice we are very much exactly built like trees. We can grow up out of earth reality into the sky world. But we can stretch out our, our arms, our branches, grow all kinds of twigs and have little buds all over them. But if we, that's as far as we can get, we need a force to pour into us from another source to actually lead to blossoming mm -hmm. and to leaf growing and to unfolding our crown, right? We call that so beautiful. We call the foliage of a tree, it's crown. We can't actually crown ourselves. That's the image that the, the gospels give us is Herod. Mm -hmm. He's someone who comes to his crown through his own means of using all kinds of forces and powers, including dark and black magic, in order to get his throne and crown. But this experience of, of reaching up and out as a community and experience actually to, to, to stand in the rays of this spiritual sun, which is a human. <laughs> There's a human spirit sun that we human trees need to receive the light and warmth of so we can fully unfold to do that in community is just like it's then you're an actual sacred grove mm -hmm. you're a in in, in irish a dairy mm -hmm. a sacred grove mm -hmm. and the fruits that fall from that would be love and mm -hmm. kindness and thoughtfulness and all the stuff we've been trying to talk about into the details and that's that would be so so re religious life as a community would be setting up sacred groves around the planet you know and that would be a blessing for its wider area and to unfold our full potential and so in that sense for me like you science is 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 you could say love in the mind art is love in the heart and 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 religion is love in the will it's actually so so the it's just a na it's just part of the expression of the nature of what it means to be a human being and if you don't go all the way down into the deep parts of the will you have this feeling you're not go you're not actually fulfilling your full humanness yeah but then just to ask a question about that is does it mean that the heart and the mind need to be prepared before people go into religious life? Mm, right. Um, or is it that the hope is that the actions will bring about a kind of thinking and feeling that, you know, are aligned? <laughs> um, because, you know, I mean, the two tensions are, 
And I would say for the Christian community, particularly, it's like, well, there's the thing that the Christian community actually in some ways does not do, but anthroposophy does do, which is, oh, it's just all about deeds. It's all about doing stuff out in the world. We'll have farms, we'll have schools, or in regular, just sort of religious thinking, oh, well, we'll we'll have, you know, potlucks and we'll do volunteer work and we'll have fundraisers for, you know, Sally who broke her leg. Everybody gives some money, you know, all good stuff. <laughs> but then, you know, the mystery, the uh, spiritual development piece really is not happening. And in some ways, I t- then can defer to Goethe. It's like Goethe's statements, like religion in that case, if, if you're not going to access the mystery, then have religion. If you're not going to investigate the truth in a way, just have religion because at least you'll be doing the community <laughs> potluck, <laughs> helping Sally with her broken leg stuff. Or there's the other side of it, which is, you know, um, people who are just doing the self-development stuff, um, or sorry, spiritual development stuff, which is anthroposophists just coming to the Christian community um, and thinking that that's their action in the world. (laughs) Well, I go to service. That's it. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm. you know, in other words, how do we, how do we get these, these principles, the thinking principle, the feeling principle and the action or the willing principle aligned um, in relation to church, in relation to going to a service, in relation to um, who shows up, how the congregation uh, of people, how does that work? It seems to me in my experience that people just, because of their unique the, the absolute unique nature of their being have different doorways that are starting doorways for them mm. in the journey. And for some people, they went towards, the, let's say, the science side of it. By science, what do we mean? <laughs> I mean the understanding realm. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm having, I'm having experiences, and I want to permeate them with the light of understanding, and I want to study philosophy. I want to read a ton. I want to, like, I approach the world, and I want to get into discussions. I, I need to understand things. Like I'm operating, starting my doorway is very much the mind, the power of my intellect, and seeing if that intellect can begin to become permeable to spirit. That that might be my my doorway, and there's like a whole there's a giant group of philosophical brothers and sisters who it's like the philosophy of freedom is the Bible for them. It's like, that's it. And all this other stuff is actually causes problems and people get off and they get this weird stuff and they're not really doing the work. And it's really, there's like a massive devotee club because for them, that's the doorway. And they see the consequences of what happens when you don't do that mind work. Right. Mm -hmm. So they feel the pain of that too. But like, then they go to, to do the, to go through the art door, mm-hmm. 
they come near the mystery dramas and you're with me and they're like, what the hell is going on here? I don't know what to do with this stuff. This is super weird. And there's veils and colors and I don't know how to access colors. And then there's these other brothers and sisters and they're like, I can't even read the philosophy of freedom. Mm. And they go into the dance. They go to their first, you know, watching this person move across the stage in light and veil. And they're like, it's worlds open up for them. Mm-hmm. And they have no idea what they're looking at. They can't yet unite their mind with it. And and then there's people who just like, they just wake up needing God. <laughs> and, and they walk through our door and they don't understand a word in the service. They sit through the whole thing and they get up and the piece of bread is placed on their tongue. And they take a sip of this golden chalice and they look into the eyes of the priest and are touched on their face with two fingers while they hear the peace be with you. And through their very body, which is way, way beyond what they comprehend, through substances, through the actual just an encounter where they got up out of their seat and and the priest came down from the altar and they met in the middle. They walk out like, and and they still, the best thing that often people will say is, I felt like I came home. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It was like, I feel like I came home. And now from that point on, they're going to start filling in the other gaps. Why do I feel like I came home? What is it? I'm So they start to add in the mind side and the feeling side after the fact. And I think that's just really key that, yeah, it seems to be like you said, this is back to the angel piece. What are the angels doing that those who are at work in the fabric of destiny, who see more than we can see in our limited individual consciousness, they're trying to create a lot of true doors, <laughs> a lot, a lot of true doors so that people can find the way, their way. Mm. Was that, was that addressing your question? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it addresses part of it, but also goes beyond the question in a good way. Um, mm. I love this. The angels are creating true doors. Um. Now, the adversarial forces, or just karmic forces, whatever, what happens is you go through one of those doors and you think you've mm. made it. Right. right. Done. <laughs> Check. So that's, that's, I think, a little bit more what I'm addressing is, you know, people go to church and do community service. They'll study the information of anthroposophy and maybe go to the Christian community to feel like they're doing something with it in the world, you know, um, or they'll have the priest touch their face and say, the peace be with you. And I've always wondered about the, the there. It's very interesting to me. Um, and then that's it. Like they actually won't do much after the fact it's a, it's a mystery mood for them, which is good. And all those things are good. All of them. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's, you know, you enter the door that the angels have made, and then, oh, here I am, I've arrived. And my question is, because 
it's a Christian community because people are going to service because it has a religious because because it's a religious impulse um, and it has a creed and you know that it will want to do something that is not what other churches are doing in a lot of ways, which is saying, great. You can't, I'm sorry to talk shit about other churches, but we know churches that do this. Great. Our numbers are up now, you know, oh, more, right. more people in the seats. Um, uh, or great. You're here. You're saved. Great. You know, we saved you. You, you coming here and coming to Christ in this way is what saved you. Um, now I'm not saying Christian community does either of those things. I know, in fact, that it wants, first of all, if it was all about how many people were in the seats. It we're, we're definitely feeling that one, for sure, yeah. <laughs> but, but, it is, but it wants to do more than that, right? It doesn't just want the door. It wants the constant opening to the path. And even at some point, uh, the illumination of the direction you know, um, or, or maybe I'd swap those around. It was the constant opening of the direction, and, and even at some point, the illumination of the path. You know, um, and so what do you do about that? Yeah. Um, mm. As because the question for this episode really is: Is esoteric Christianity a religion? Mm. And the answer is no, in a sense. Mm. <laughs> but to the extent that it does flow into this religious. Uh, what do you even want to call it? Structure, yeah. Eddie. You know, no, no, it's not an Eddie. Uh, uh, ir- irrigation. I don't know. But it, to, <laughs> to, to the to in, in the Christian community, you know, I'm just kind of looking at what the responsibilities, the tending, all that are, and what happens when people go and encounter esoteric Christianity in this way versus doing it on their own or just going to a church that's not esoteric Christianity. And I don't mean to be challenging. I really just want to know. <laughs> I just, and I want, I want to like move around. Meaning like this. what's, what's the, right. Cause yeah. Esoteric Christianity is not equatable with the movement for religious renewal. Right. And in the Christian community that, that, I'm a servant of. Um, nor is that nor is that equatable with just a church that is not esoteric Christianity, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, the name of our movement is the Christian Community, and and when we when our founders worked with Rudolf Steiner for the name they're really seeking the name you know you could imagine like the johanine rosicrucian you know, like <laughs> apocalyptic church you know that would be so much cooler right you know like it's it's this different thing or it's like trying to you know it's placing itself next to uh-huh. the name it's been amazing like if you listen to npr they'll talk about the christian community in baghdad they'll talk about the christian community right. in right. uh and that's the name that is the name for the church and all who love Christ. It's the name for the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very provocative. It's the church universal. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the, the way that, that 
I, I experienced my brothers and sisters all over the place. It's just not an organizational umbrella, mm-hmm. but we're like a node, a nodal point or like a, a point that becomes apparent in the physical world in which his community becomes apparent as a sacramental place. And if we're not connected to his living spiritual body, which is a community, then we're a nothing. We're just like some weird, ridiculous, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you might you might prove yourselves to be like a, a strange little blip in the course of world evolution. That'll be up to you. <laughs> and we, we feel that as a kind of really deep pressure, like, you know, in the best way, like, yeah. This can die and that everything can, you could say, fall off the living sap of the actual life of Christ. Mm-hmm. And any time forms are created, that's at the edge of death and life. And there's a tendency because you came into a physical place and walked into a physical chapel and saw there's a physical altar, physical chairs, you know, to think that that's the thing. Mm. and that's you know religious language calls that idolatry you can make an idol of anything where you think that the 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 door is the thing right when the door is simply like an outer edge a revelation of the thing Mm -hmm. and so to stay alive (laughs) is to be always growing And that means my old forms are always my old ways, my old wherever, whatever I got to is for a time a place. But if I, if I think that's the end, I'm living in the end. Right. And he is the one who makes all things new. So to be in him is to be always staying in a process and not a product. And so the way that's expressed in our ritual service is we we turn all of our attention, our mind, we offer up our feeling as a chalice into which he can express himself, and we are offering up our very will substance, pouring out our will and devotion, making it available so that you can appear. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is we reenact the last supper and picture the deed that he accomplished on that little rock called the skull into which his life blood flowed and in which his body revealed the love of god in a human form and it says that what we're thinking about this so that those so the thought of Christ can actually enter our own thinking and begin thinking in us Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that Christ's death and resurrection and revelation becomes a a logos that is creating inside us. Not that's not destination land. That's ever and again, dying and being reborn and living in the life of that. And so as a priest, you could say, as someone who's the garden, tending the garden, it's our task to 
to to walk around inside the garden of the community and see are we becoming stilted and 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 stuck inside of one destination or are we actually really living in that life wow yeah um there's a lot there but i i want to say it's said very beautifully um it's something that I wish more people would sit with for a little bit is what you said about, you know, look, as priests, we're, I don't like this term, but it, we're reenacting. Mm-hmm. Um, we're reminding about that. We're, we're, te- we're tending to, we're reminding, we're allowing the presence of Christ to light up because obviously lots of people make the argument, well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Why do I need to go to church? Which fine. I mean, actually that's okay, but that's different than what, you know, I have a personal relationship with Jesus so churches shouldn't exist. Right. So, so that's, you know, and that sometimes is implied by people saying mm-hmm. that. Um, so by, reminding by being yourself the prism of that when when it goes into when it when it lights up or the kind of recognition of the presence in your thoughts or in your heart or even in your actions although that's probably one of the hardest ones mm-hmm. of that being occurs because you've gone to a service um, or whatever it is, is that is uh, activity mm. through which that presence can live in you. It's not mm. always the actual, well, in some ways it always is the actual presence, but it's not always the actual presence. Well, I'm thinking of Christ. He's here working with me. Okay, well, yeah, but that there might be different levels of that and different intensities and, you know, versions of that. But it's it's a kind of a it's a kind of movement um, that you can imagine from which something can arise or emerge, and so that tending to that gesture and that movement that happens when you go to a Christian community service is different than other than other churches is different than yeah. other places. Totally. And I think that's why, like, as you, I would say, are an initiate, Connor, in that life reality, because of what you described your destiny has been. Like, you don't fit in a box. A box is like a salt crystal form that that forms out of one insight. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the self of the human being is so alive, so spiritually creative every box can't contain it it's its nature to extend it to be a box maker actually (laughs) i can make boxes but i flow between them and i flow around them and i can come outside them and actually it's this living reality and that's another way you say it's transitioning from walking on the earth to walking on water and you're very familiar with living in a water world. <laughs> you can flow 
And, and for most people, you walk through a door, it's like, this is, you know, this is it. Yes. Okay. Make a, make a rock out of it because you're seeking safety and protection. <laughs> and it's scary for many of us to try to live in a fluid environment and to actually experience I am, <laughs> I am in my nature, the living fluid flow or as it's described in the book of Revelation, where he reveals, God reveals its nature by saying, I am the God who is, who was, mm -hmm. and who is to come. I actually live in the time sphere, not in space. Mm -hmm. That, 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 you know, that's at the border of where most, where we are all living. You could say for me, like, if you want to understand our times, there are massive waves crashing on everyone's lives right now, all the time. Even if you outwardly look at them, it's like, man, you're doing great. You got a job. You're outwardly totally safe. But people have the feeling overwhelmed, constantly overwhelmed. These are these waves. And these forces, the feeling is, I'm trying to keep staying on ground. But the universe is at the point where it's like, we gave you ground for a time. And guess what? It's water time. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're, you're not yeah. to continue to actually truly exist. You're going to need to get really familiar with the waves. Mm -hmm. Or um, work on the world to bring tranquility to the water, you know, which is a different is a different mm. thing too, not out of selfish mm. purpose, but because the water is seeking a sort of tranquility with you mm. as well mm. to end its rhythm. But can you bring the rhythm to it in a way? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the yeah, next level. I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's right. Like where, you know, if we, I was trying to say this before, but let me try it one more time. Is like, it's the presence of Christ through the sort of activation of his presence through your own affirmation again and again. I don't think people quite get that. I don't think people, mm. and I don't think I'm articulating it well, by the way, but I don't think people quite get like what happens in the thought realm or the feeling mm. realm is real. It is where the real action, the real willing actually is in a sort of way. Mm. Um, and so when we have world events or a, or a personal event, like going to church, what happens within us is a real site of event of happening. And so if you leave church thinking about hell, it's very different than leaving church with that kind of gesture and movement of peace within you. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's, I don't want to pick on this person because he's very, I, he, I think he listens to the show, but he's also was very kind guy, but he wrote this book. Uh, I forget what it's called, but he wrote this book about that's coming out soon about, creating spirituality for leftists and he asked me to take a mm. look at it and i was like mm, mm. i can't really blurb this book because mm. you're trying to create a material spirituality what i'm mm. saying is that we need to create 
a non-materialist mm. politics, which is a completely different. <laughs> it can, it, it's, I could not be more different. It's not a semantic issue. It could not be no. more different. Yeah. And so while I, I do appreciate the kinds of openings that will happen probably from his work. And I'm really grateful for him to be kicking up some activity in that realm. What you and I are talking about is the dissolving or the recognition of the already dissolved ground and being in time and motion and mm. a different kind of activity. There's that thing that Rudolf Steiner says and what happens in everybody's spiritual development, you get to a point where you look down and you realize there's nothing beneath you. And it is horrifying. It's horrifying that actually you've been standing on nothing the entire time. And um, that can happen at any point in your development, really. Uh, ho- hopefully you get that one really like big hit of it and then you can move on. But um I think that's it. It's so when we talk about, and when you're talking about going to Christian community service, it's not just to go to the objects. It's not even just to go to the rituals. It's about what enacts itself, what shows up in that. But that's very tricky to explain to people, you know, maybe some anthroposophists get it, but then how do you get the people that aren't in that community to come? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for me, you know, I, I, you know me now a little bit, like I'm a little bit maybe talking about trees too often, but, you know, I feel like (laughs) they are, you know, they've been gifted to the world actually to reveal what our calling is to be priests of the sun on the planet. Mm-hmm. That is beings who have the capacity to absorb the forces of the heavenly worlds and make them fruitful for the earth. Mm-hmm. I'm looking out my window. Those people just driving past a beautiful grove of maples right now. Mm-hmm. They had no idea that their life is being sustained by that grove right there. Right. But there are some who do. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a way in which the task is, at, you know, to be to be the tree, because it's just a it's a set of real forces that are actually taking real effect on the planet, mm. because those beings know the the other beings won't survive unless there is a being that can absorb sunlight and make it fruit for all the other beings. And whether they see me or don't see me, whether they understand me or don't understand me is has reality to it and has massive effects for everyone involved. But my job as a tree is to just make sure I absorb light and make it fruitful for them. And so the services too, it's like, they're also for the elemental being forces. They're work. We're working down into substance and repermeating it with, with, with resurrection forces, with Easter forces again. And again, we're opening up portals to the Easter realm again and again and again. And, how many humans are there is is it's like well you can barely find jesus in the historical record Hmm. he's barely there and in the the most significant moment of his life he had you know the night before he died there were only the 12 or 13 around him small little group in a room where he 
off where he transferred his being into earth substances and said, here, here I am, take me, eat me, take me in, ingest me. (laughs) Overcoming the deepest layer of egotism. And then when he died on the cross, he died with a bunch of criminals. And just like many, many others had been, been murdered mercilessly by the Roman state before him. He, he joined, he joined, he joined thousands before him and after him. And that, and it barely, and his own circle at that point abandoned him, left him. He had only a, a few of the women and John who, who wrote the, the gospel of John even could even handle being present to that moment. And why I'm saying all of that is when we move into the real forces of spirit and our work is in that realm, the, the, the work itself is its own set. It's, 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 it's um, not outward success-based. That's what, one of the things I love to say. Jesus is like the most unsuccessful human ever. <laughs> like he was, you know, he didn't set up an, an NGO that, you know, changed the world. He didn't, he, he didn't fundraise, beyond, you know, like the, 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 he was, he was denied by his, by his highest student and betrayed by one of his highest students. His own circle that he formed couldn't hold his own people whom he came to love and serve didn't want anything to do with him and handed him over and asked him to be crucified. It's, it's just such a confrontation for what success looks like. His focus is being a certain way and planting himself on the planet to be a bridge between worlds. And let forces come into the world that are made available to humanity and the earth. It's just, it, 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 it's, and that's, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, then I become interested in each person I meet. Well, how, where are you in your story? And how is our meeting also a part of our mutual further unfolding? beautiful i mean it's beautiful it's beautiful that we meet people except for our parents and our siblings really the family that's there right at the beginning but everybody else we meet at some point in their own lives i mean we even meet them at some point in our own lives but they meet us right at the start right but everybody else is meeting in this sort of strange timeline of wandering and meeting without the ground of the absolute beginning of your past in this incarnation right meeting them Mm. you know uh at some point along their being is groundless and also for the most part in some ways even airless or skyless because you're not going to follow them to the end The, Mm. the, the person you pick up and follow to the end is then your your partner usually if if anybody you know and usually you don't die in the, same the end moment. in this case meaning when you die this exactly. time around <laughs> yeah so right exactly right not 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 at the very end <laughs> i just try to make sure i'm tracking <laughs> but then you know i'm thinking about everything you've said here so 
so the big thing about the difference between the person and the tree, because the tree is right. Like who says it? Is it Peter Dunov who says like the trees, trees are really just, they're the, they're the living druids all over the place. If you just look, they are the druids of the plant kingdom. But if you, if you think of uh, a tree and a person, the one thing is, you know, the tree starts, at least the activation of the tree starts by the acorn or the seed or whatever in the ground. And then the universe sort of turns its attentiveness with all its forces to this point of emphasis. And then this thing grows up and then down, but it starts underneath the surface of the earth in a way. But a person uh, you know, there's the, uh, a person doesn't grow like that. <laughs> a person do- doesn't grow in the earth, except that we have, you know, we are growing inside of flesh in a sense, in a way, but um, what's the, this line by Gilles Deleuze referring to someone else, completely a philosopher, like all creative things in people, he is in the middle. He grows from the middle, he says. So, a person, in a way, grows from the middle. We don't grow into earth and into heaven, but rather we grow as an expression of the heart. And the same way with Christ is, I don't come from merely, I don't merely come from heaven. <laughs> I don't eat. I don't merely come from earth or heaven. I actually emanate. Um, I emanate from the middle that my presence is felt by a growing out from the middleness here. And, you know, it's such a completely different form than matter. If you have matter and you collapse it, it turns into a black hole or an atom bomb. It turns into an absolute nothing. But if you have Christ, that kind of nothingness of Christ radiating from the center, it turns into being. It, It exudes and infuses and flows through being in a way that being becomes, and matter even becomes awake to itself. So we have, the reason why Mm. I was just thinking about that with the trees, Mm. I was trying to think of what is this, I am not on the ground. Um, If I'm not on the ground, I can't exactly go up to heaven, can I? The spatiality is something completely different. But what happens if instead I'm not dependent on ground or heaven in the sense that you go to heaven and you never come back and you leave the cycle completely and all that, but rather I'm something that is radiating from the center, that I'm growing from the middle like Christ. And the moment we find ourselves grounded, standing on the ground, we're blocking ourselves from growing from the middle. Or the moment we sort of look to you know, just the heavens, just to be the branches, as you said, Mm. we can't blossom. We stop growing from the middle. Mm. That emanation is the way that we grow and, and the way that we meet. And when we meet others, we're meeting them in a certain pattern of their emanation through life. Um, Anyway, these are just things that I'm thinking at the end. I'm, it's not like I've articulated these many times before. I probably oh, it's so beautiful. It, I mean, but. yeah, that's. I think that mystery is why those from the you know very beginning who met his being experienced him as the tree of life. That was one of the ways 
they could give voice and the life element is from the heart right and equally loves the below and above i feel like we're just getting started <laughs> so um we'll talk again and uh we'll talk about all of this again thank you so much for uh going through all this with me patrick kennedy absolutely i i you know i i don't know what that's it's so interesting too because right it's like aspects of this beautiful realm of reality that we get to inhabit this world this reality only become clear through relationships it's like part so part of the gift of 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 meeting is like you could say new sides of the beloved become apparent through meeting a a friend who knows the beloved <laughs> that's right anyway that's my little stumble to say yeah <laughs> can't wait can't wait for the next conversation too <laughs> thank you and uh thank you so much everybody for listening bye now Thank you.